You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode six of The Grind with Josiah and David and our good friend Ryan Wilking. Welcome to the show, man. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. We've been trying to make this work for a few weeks, so I'm glad we're able to do it. We're recording late night instead of early in the day, Uh, so if our energy levels seem a little different, um, we're drinking decaf, which we'll talk about in a second, but I'm excited about the show. This week on The Grind, we're going to be talking to Ryan Wilking about his disc golf life, playing on the pro scene, on a car with Paul Macbeth, that sort of thing. He's going to get tell us how to throw 500 feet, and we are going to review the Discmania Essence. So I'm excited about the show, and I'm very excited about throwing 500 feet tomorrow. So, <laughs> But first, as always, got to ask, and David, we'll start with you. What are you sipping on, and how was your week? Let's see. We're sipping on some nightcap decaf from Kiln Coffee Bar. I think right now it's a Columbia. Um, I typically, I feel like from most decaf coffees, I end up getting a, a lot of just a nutty... Um, almost like, I feel like decaf just reminds me of just really dry, like taste in your mouth. I mean, this is a Swiss water processed, uh, decaf. So, um, typically decaf is done with chemical chemicals. And so it has some chemical residue left over on the beans. Uh, more modern decafs are most of them that you'll find in craft coffee shops are all going to be Swiss water processed. So feel better about what you're drinking. But I mean, I guess as clean as a decaf cup can be not super exciting, tastes a little nutty. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it was easy to drink. I drank it uh, entirely and then was like, oh, I guess I'm done with my coffee. So <laughs> little, it almost tastes watered down to me in this in a certain sense. Like I know you didn't uh, brew it poorly. It's just on pour over. But it was it was tasty. I was I kind of I'm not a decaf person, but it made me think maybe at night when I am hankering for a cup of coffee, I should have a little decaf on hand. Ryan, you, you're a coffee guy, right? No. I mean, I drink coffee right, every leave, day. But leave the show. Get, get, <laughs> so th- this go. is how I pick my coffee. I go to the grocery store. I'm looking at the wall. We want to keep it around 7 to $8, and you just look for cool packaging. Hey, that's fair. <laughs> that's how most people shop for discs, so it kind of makes sense. Cool. Well, how's, how's your week, David? Uh, disc golf week. Let's see. This past week... I actually didn't get to play a whole lot this past week. I played, I think, one round on the weekend. Actually, maybe it was later on that Friday. My hip was bugging me, and I just wanted to give it a bit of a rest. I think my hip was kind of bugging me because of a lot of spike hyzers. And I realized with my spike hyzers, I was bending down very low to the ground to get some leverage. I didn't really need to do that. Yeah, so I guess I rested a bit just to um, give my hips some rest. Um, but the round that we did get in, I think it was on Friday, and I think I ended up shooting like negative five or something. Kind of the past couple of weeks have been so-so for me. My putting's been a bit off. That's at Watson. At Watson, yeah. Um, my putting's been a bit off, and my drives have been, eh, okay. I'm not super stoked about walking away from a round, but it, I enjoy playing. So, Yeah. Ryan, how about you? You get some disc golf in this past week? Oh, I've got a round and a half in at Palisade, uh, mostly just practicing. Um, kept score one round, was a couple under, um, nothing too special. Um, like I was talking about in the pre-show, sometimes I just go and practice three or four holes over and over and try to dial some things in. That's more what I've been able to do lately. Yeah, and we'll get into it, um, but Ryan Wilking is a local pro, and we're all playing uh, a tournament in about a week and a bit, a week and a half, and so we'll be excited to um, just kind of talk about his life playing the open scene since David and I have only played intermediate and advanced, but uh, my week was good. I got to play some disc golf. I think that I had... My putts started to feel a little bit off. My drive started to feel a little bit off, but I still scored fine. And I think I've been figuring out a few things. And um, I actually got to play today again. And both of those things felt good. I didn't score that well, but I felt really good about my drives and my putts and made a few mistakes. But going into the tournament, I was kind of annoyed because my drive felt like it was falling apart and my putt felt like it was falling apart. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is really bad timing. But so I was glad to, I was glad to be kind of back to normal. Yeah, that's sweet that I, I like that you just go out and play a few holes and uh, 
play them over and over again. I feel like for me, I like to go and play through an entire round because I'm so obsessed with the score as opposed to just being intentional about practicing a hole and really fine-tuning it. Yeah, that's actually something that I had to get used to playing with you guys. I would come out and play with you guys, and the first couple times, I just didn't keep score because I don't keep score a lot of the times. And so I didn't know if you guys were keeping score or if we cared about score. And it was just, uh, I don't know, it was interesting. It's been fun. That's fun. Was there a certain point for you that you started um, like not keeping score or a certain point that you just enjoyed just playing were intentional about like certain holes or in your game? Oh, not really. I think maybe just in the last couple of years since I've moved here to Grand Junction, um, you know, it's been a less serious hobby for me, but um, still a cool pastime and I'm excited to be getting back into the competitive side of things. Yeah, I don't actually keep score during the round. I just think back through. I only I only play one shot or only count one shot, and then I think back through and, and tabulate my score. We talked about last week that I don't do well when I know my score, if I'm doing really well or really poorly. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'm about 10 down, and that's kind of, or five down or six over, whatever it is. And but I try not to like think. Oh, if I birdie, I'll have my. You know, if I birdie the next three, then I'll have a really good score. At, um, where David is like, if he's not hitting his personal record that day, it's a bad day. Or if he doesn't have a chance at it through nine holes. I'm so competitive with myself mentally that I just want to beat my <laughs> beat my previous score. And if it happens to be that you know Josiah has the high score, or the low score on that course, then maybe David want to beat that too. I don't Take know. Take him down. <laughs> Uh, well, let's. I just wanted to, uh, Ryan. You know, you and I and and David and our other buddies have been playing together for a while. We've known each other for a while, but I don't know much about how you found disc golf. I know you played a little bit of ultimate, but how did you find disc golf to start? Yeah, so it happened a couple different stages way early on. Uh, elementary school. Um, my uncle. It explains everything. <laughs> yeah, you got to start early. Um, <laughs> We'd go camping as a family, and my uncle would bring some discs, and we would just play golf out in the woods. You know, that tree over there in the sunlight, par six. Oh, and really? We would just like all, disc golf discs or frisbees? Yeah. No, they were disc golf discs. Oh, cool. I think some of the first ones I threw were a, a cyclone and a wolf. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, didn't even really know it was a thing. It was just something we did when we went camping. Then in high school, I got into ultimate, played on my high school's ultimate team, and one of our practices, we went to the little local nine-hole course, uh, Schaefer, uh, designed by John Bird, and played it with lids, and I thought it was super fun, and it was a way for me to practice my throw, and um, I was playing on a team where I was the most serious about wanting to be good, and so going to the course was something I could do by myself, and so I went a lot and started to learn that there were some other discs I could throw. I think my parents got me an Innova starter pack. It had a... Classic champion avr and a panther and a valkyrie okay so that was an awesome way to start playing and get a little more serious Uh, i think a wraith would have been one of my next ones but uh didn't take it too much further than that i think i played for a little bit the summer after high school and then uh dropped it for a couple years and uh, then picked it back up and met some of the guys from the mile high disc golf club and started playing tag matches and kind of really fell in love with it from there that's cool so when did you um start when you played tags early on what was that like and was it pretty clear were you pretty clearly like oh this guy's good for not having played that much or was it more like now you had to kind of earn your stripes man i started out pretty green now, there were so many good players in the denver area um you'd show up at a tag match and um Pretty regularly, uh, I played expo tags a lot. People were shooting 13, 14, 15 down on what could be a pretty tricky course with some some funny OBs, and um, it would be different random people all the time. It wasn't like there was a couple top guys. Um, there was really a lot of good players. I think I developed pretty quickly into just having a smooth form and got better quickly, that's for sure. How did how was it that you started developing your form? Uh, I think a little bit of carryover from Ultimate, obviously, um, and then I 
One of my first discs that I really had a lot of success with and when I wanted to build form was the Fuse from Latitude 64. Oh, yeah, um, I've thrown that before. It's I, nice and neutral. And I didn't know about Glide and Fade very much. I just knew it was a disc that I could get to go real straight and even had a hard time toning it back so that it wouldn't glide past baskets and stuff like that. But I think I attribute a lot of my form to, to learning on the Fuse for sure. Yeah, so free advertisement for Latitude 64. You guys should pick yourself up a fuse. I like the fuse. It's fun. It's I wouldn't say it's touchy, but it certainly reveals any mistakes you make. Yeah, it'll clean up your form real quick, but it if you're gentle with it and you're not torquing over on it, it can it can withstand some power and really fly pretty far and straight. That's awesome. That's something that I'm learning with my backhand right now is I mean, you've seen I go up and I'll rip on more oversables this backhand because I'm used to that with my forehand and it's it's not helpful for me in learning my backhand, and so I'm I'm working on trying to uh, actually fine tune more of that clean release point with my backhand. So, so when did you start playing in tournaments? When did you start feeling like a little bit more serious about it? Was were those things the same like at the same time, or that kind of developed independently? Um, it happened pretty quickly, really. I played one intermediate tournament, um, at Colorado Heights University. It was a little one rounder and, um, I had debated between signing up for intermediate and advanced and the TD said, I might as well sign up for intermediate because that would make it a division. There wasn't a lot of people in this little tournament. And so played with a couple of other guys and I think I won by 10 strokes or something like that. Very clearly said, okay, you need to go play advanced and, I think I played two seasons of advanced and uh, was pretty consistently top 10, top five, had a couple wins. And um, I think I moved up too quickly to MPO actually. Okay. I think I had one big win at Pendere down in New Mexico. And after that, um, started playing open tournaments and did fine in them. I you know would cash occasionally and I was happy, but I... I think playing some bigger, more national scale amateur tournaments would have been really good for me. Right now, seeing the uh, the NADGT, um, man, I wish that would have been around when I was coming up. That just seems really cool for people to be able to play. Yeah, so I guess without that, kind of like Am Worlds is you know one of the bigger events. But when you were playing in tournaments, did you feel like you were gaining skills? along the way, you know, from playing in tournaments and you wish that advance would have taught you a little bit more of those skills before you hopped into MPO or why, why do you think you jumped in a little too early? Um, I think more so just, uh, the, um, the competition and being in the running for things and playing with that kind of pressure can teach you a lot early on playing pro. And even for most of my pro career, I'd I had a couple small wins, but never really put together very many full, clean tournaments. And I think if I had had a little more experience with that kind of pressure um, at some amateur level tournaments, it might have helped me. Yeah, no, that that makes sense for sure. When you you're, the skills you develop, you talked about a little bit like throwing the fuse and that sort of thing. And we'll get into you know how you've built up the power um, that you have, but. When it came to putting and everything else, was it, you know, grinding just on the course or field work or how did you start building your game just like technically the skills? Yeah, it definitely takes a lot more uh, of a training regimen to build those skills than just playing on the course. Um, I had a couple practice baskets and had a pretty consistent putting games that I would play every day and I would do field work not quite daily, but I, I loved throwing in the field, going and practicing shots. And it was really, I liked the, the disc golf aspect of it, but it was therapeutic for me. You know, if things were rough at home or, you know, I just needed to get away, clear my head, it was, it was the field and it was throwing discs and it was, yeah, there was this huge sports complex by my house, uh, Schaefer, and it had like six or seven soccer fields all right next to each other with, goalposts and trash cans and uh, playgrounds there was a lot to kind of make up my own holes and envision flights and and just practice uh, you know I was 
fortunate enough to be sponsored by Latitude for a couple years, and so I was able to get my hands on some good backups and just have a stack of discs to go and throw and, and learn a disc and a specific shot and um, really loved field work. I think that was a, a big deal. When you're doing your field work, do you typically have targets that you're throwing at or are you just throwing your disc into the field? What does that look like for you? Depends on what I'm working on. Sometimes it's fun to just go and let it rip and try to throw as far as you can, but typically I have a pretty specific flight path that I'm trying to throw with a, a targeted landing zone that's you know, usually about the size of the circle. I'm looking to land in a 30-foot a circle most of the time. Okay. Usually when I go out and do my field work, I try to go for distance too much, and then I start hurting doing something. Start hurting your hip? Start hurting my hip, <laughs> hurt my arm, doing something to where I'm injuring myself. <laughs> How did you get sponsored by Latitude? Um, right place, right time, really. Huge shout out to uh, Patrick Blazik, a local pro in Denver, uh, sponsored by Dynamic Discs. I played with him a lot and uh, learned a ton from him, and he was a huge advocate for me. Um, when Latitude was first getting involved with sponsoring U.S. players, they put out a, uh, a wanted poster. And it was this cool kind of Western motif and... Uh, Dave Felberg was a big part of the recruitment and, and choosing people. Um, he happened to be down at the tournament in Penderay, New Mexico, uh, which, by the way, um, my favorite course ever. Plays on this golf course through the woods, um, long technical shots on just a beautiful property. Um, it's worth checking out. I don't think the course is there permanently anymore, uh, but it was my favorite. So we gotta, we got to find a tournament there then. Yeah, I wish. Um, so yeah, it would have been 2013, 2014 area, um, that I was still playing advanced, but I had submitted an application for this latitude sponsorship and then met Dave down there and I ended up winning advanced and, uh, attending one of his clinics and he seemed impressed with my skills and potential and they took a chance on me. That's cool. So did you know he was coming when you played the tournament? Because that was the one you won, you mentioned, as like a signature win. And did you feel like extra pressure or fuel from that? Uh, I don't know that it was pressure, but I knew he was there, and I knew it was an opportunity. And um, I think that fueled some of my performance for sure, you know, that I was motivated to uh, play well, and um, things just kind of fell into the right place. That's I, cool. I remember a specific... Uh, uh, world that I had just a really nice blue world that was flying great for me. And, um, it was a good showing. I have no idea what a world is. Is that a driver? Yeah. It's like a 14 speed. Oh, I wow. pretty much replaced it with the ballista pro. Okay. Sweet. I wish I had the arm speed to throw that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I do. It's actually uh, a little bit of a mental dilemma I'm facing at the moment. No, what you're supposed to say is, David, you will after the next segment of the podcast. One day. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of took a step back from disc golf. You were sponsored. What, what changed? Um, yeah, I was sponsored for a couple of years and was pretty competitive in Colorado. I tried traveling a little bit, had the opportunity to travel with uh, Paige Birkus, now oh, Shu. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we hit up some of the early season stuff together. We went out and played Wintertime Open, Gentlemen's Club Challenge, and the Memorial. Um, we played a bunch of GBOs together, and I just never really popped off and had a good tournament and just never made it work financially, and so kind of just petered off of the big tournaments, and I actually ended up breaking both of my wrists in 2016. Oh, dang. How'd you do that? I was jumping out of a moving truck. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Just some funny stunt I was doing. <laughs> Wait, so I want to take a step back. I, I forgot I was going to ask you this. So when I met you, I heard, oh, yeah, he used to you know, play a lot, and he's pretty good. And I just figured I'd Google you. And the first thing that came up was a YouTube video of you playing, I think, Kansas City Wide Open with you know a card that may have had Paul McBeth on it. What, what was that like playing him and you know, some of the other top pros? Did, you, did that just feel like, hey, normal, like anything else? Or did it feel like, oh, no, this is something different. These people are something different. Uh, that was a blast. I really enjoyed playing with Paul. You know, he was very friendly and did a bunch of small talking and chatting. And 
uh, was kind enough to let me take the box from him once. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and uh, humble brag that one real quick. Yeah, no need, no need to humble, just brag about it. If I ever take the ball box from Paul Macbeth, I'm just going to go ahead and have it written on my tombstone. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and he that was 2015 when he was scorched earth. Like If you look at his stats, it was first or second, but mostly first in like every tournament he played. I mean, it was unbelievable. So it's pretty cool that you got a chance to play with him at the peak and, you know, took the box from him. And I've occasionally taken the box from you and David's taking the box from me, so that would make David better than Paul Macbeth. That's what. That's basically what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. I'm glad uh, you've kind of joined our little cult, and I've. I've really enjoyed playing with you. I think obviously, just having somebody who's much better than you. I, I generally have been the person dragging my friends to play disc golf. David's up there now, and our and we've got a little bit of synergy, so it's not just me dragging people out to play. It's kind of a bunch of people that are just obsessed, but it's been fun to play with you. And just, I feel like my game has gotten better just watching you and watching your form and how easily you throw and how effortless you are. And just, um, so I, I certainly appreciate it. And then it's just been fun to get to know you better. So, um, I'm glad that you're part of our, our little disc golf group. Yeah, me too. I mean, moving to a new city and, uh, trying to get plugged back into a good group of guys. I mean, this is all I could ask for. Uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I really am enjoying the friendships as much as the, the golf. And that, that's always been a big part of disc golf for me. I think, um, even in all the traveling I've done, the community of disc golf is just incredible. No matter where you go, you're going to find a fun group of people to play with who are respectful and nice and everybody's motivating you to play well and it just really is a special group of people and we have a pretty good scene here and uh i'm stoked to be a part of it yeah for sure well i thought you know i haven't quite figured out how to throw 500 feet yet you know i'm close like i'm like 150 feet away maybe 100 feet away but you throw really far very far and you don't (laughs) You don't look like you're trying. I actually, I think the first time, one of the first times I played with you, we had like a 500 foot hole and you, it was like 550, I think, and you threw a little short of it. No, it was 600, 600. It's Palisade for all the people who care, which is almost no one who's listening, but Palisade uh, nine in the longs and you threw it as, you know, like 100 feet short. And I was like, okay, now really try. And you're like, no, I really tried. And that was like one of the first times I was like, oh, that, that, his form is different than mine when i really try it looks like i'm probably going to dislocate a shoulder or something when and so but i thought maybe for our listeners as well for david and i selfishly i want to ask you a couple questions one what do you think are some of the just key general things to being able to throw far now obviously there's a lot of more important things in disc golf or just as important things in terms of skill but what are some of the key things to throw far I think at the top of the list, we got to talk about being smooth. I think eliminating any kind of unnecessary movement in your run-up and your release is is really key. Um, And then timing, I think, would be second. Um, For your lower body to be working in unison with your upper body and getting that timing right. Um, I mean, you can throw it as hard as you want, but if if your mechanics aren't lining up in the right order, uh, you're just not going to throw far. And did you come upon that primarily just by throwing the disc, retrieving it, throwing again, and just kind of figuring out what worked? Is it partially just natural coordination? And then later on, looking back at it, you can see, oh, this is how it worked. Or did you actually do the kind of thing where you, no, I filmed myself and I said, hey, I got this extra pump in there. I got this extra step in there. How did it work for you? Um, Pretty organically, I think. Uh, I did a little bit of videoing and form work, but... Uh, more than anything, it's just find something that's comfortable and um, make your body work for you. And it came pretty easy, really. Uh, you know, it's not something that I really worked on a ton. I think I developed a, a good form in the beginning and so didn't have a lot of ha- bad habits to try to fix later on. I feel my hopes shrinking. What about you, David? Uh, d- uh, did a lot of your form... Uh, come naturally because of playing ultimate you feel like so is just transition directly over for you yeah I think um, just learning how to throw a disc and watching the flight and then doing it again and again and again 
definitely. I've put hours and hours into field work. That's definitely where it begins. Every single time I change one little thing with my backhand, and I feel, I definitely feel like I'm getting more and more smooth. That's definitely the thing I'm focusing on most right now. I love that you're talking about that. I think that's a lot of what we've watched in content on video. But, uh, um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. It's fine. It's just getting too late. <laughs> Dude, we got we to gotta have a show to go. Come on now, perk up. We might have to get you actually caffeinated coffee. <laughs> How much do you think... So obviously there's some spectrum of, of athleticism. I think that you are just based on when we've, when we've played spike ball, it's like, oh, this guy's kind of coordinating athletic. What do you think is, you know, how much is it... Natural athleticism, lever length, that sort of thing, you know, quick twitch muscles. And how much of throwing far is, no, it is, it's form and timing and there's still hope for Josiah and David. And, and I'm not saying which one you have to say. I want you to tell me the truth, but you could crush my soul right now. <laughs> well, I, would, I do have a longer than normal torso, which probably equates to maybe a longer wingspan. Maybe that helps. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I think a lot of it is natural athleticism. I think it's something that gets built into you at a young age uh, from playing sports and being active. Um, genes come into play too, but I think, you know, talking about trying to reach 500, I think those things can be overcome by hard work and repetition and, and form. I don't think it's impossible for somebody to learn to be better, but there will always be the people your Gannon Burrs, your Eagle McMahons, who are just physically going to be better than somebody else, no matter how hard they practice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would expect that there would be some element to which you'd say, hey, like, you're 6'5", you have quick twitch, twitch muscles, and you're coordinated, you're going to be able to throw further than me, at, if we both work the same. But I, I do wonder, like, hey, for, like, the average average athlete you know male female like what's the reasonable goal like my goal right now is just to be able to throw 400 with control if i could get there i feel like 500 is kind of a dream but if i could get 400 with control and know that i could hit that consistently i feel like that would open up a lot of things not just the max distance but to be able to throw slower discs or different shots on holes hey if i could just throw pure hyzer here instead of having to throw something that flips up because I don't have that distance pure hyzer. So that's something I think about for sure. It's not just, hey, I want to throw as far as I can, which I do, but I also want to be able to throw different shots that aren't really accessible at, at those distances right now. Yeah, for me with my back end, I feel like I've started off throwing 200 feet, which we talked about, I think, earlier on on the podcast. And then I had one form change to, I realized that my foot was pointed forward, so my hips were locked. So I wasn't engaging my hips at all. And when I, I literally just was started landing with my foot in and I was able to activate my hips and I went from throwing 200 feet to 310, 315 feet, just like that. And I think ever since then, um, and since then I've gained a bit more, I'm, I can hit 350, 360. Um, ever since then, I'm looking for that next little thing that can unlock the next 100 feet potential. Um, and so I think... Going into this, I and the, whenever I'm looking for content on YouTube and just hearing from you, I'm always just trying to think about, okay, what's that next thing that I could unlock? But I think part of it is just continuing to focus on, I mean, the little things, and this it sounds like just having that smooth form going into it. And throw putters. Throw, that's, I don't, I, I just, I need to. And I one thing for me is I, I'm just such an impatient person. And I think I need to, with disc golf, disc golf preaches patience. You have to be intentional with, uh, I mean, it, it always comes back to being intentional and being patient with those things and uh, enjoying the process. And that's definitely not a strength of mine. So I need to use that discipline. Thank you, Ryan. David is, like we talked about last week, very goal oriented. So if he wanted to throw 400 feet, then he'd want to take the driver or the 500 feet that, that he thinks could get it there and just... Just wail on that until his his hip is broken and his arm falls off. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, well, I, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'm just curious, 
What do you think is the big separator between somebody who's competent at the pro level versus the AM or the lower level open player? I think one of the big things is not letting mistakes mistakes snowball. Um, a pro will, you know, maybe have a shank off the tee and then scramble to get up and down, save the par, move on, um, or even lay up, take the bogey, and move on. Uh, whereas an am might really scramble, make two or three more mistakes, take the double or triple bogey, and then let that sour the whole rest of their round. Um, that's still something I struggle with too. You know, I'm, I'm not immune to it. Um, the other thing that I would say kind of strikes me is you just, you hear AMs talk a lot more about what they meant to do and pros kind of just move on from it, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. We've, we've talked a little bit about trying to get there in terms of just letting the shot go. I think the not making mistakes snowball is really good. And I think that part of the fear that I have as an AM is that I won't complete the obvious play. Like, let's say you win OB early and you know you need to pitch out and then lay up to the basket, make your putt, take your bogey. And that, in this case, this imagined scenario. And part of it for me is I don't actually know that my pitch up or my putt are going to work out like I planned. So you could be looking at a double bogey. So then you have this impatience like Dave was talking about earlier. We say, I'm just going to throw it way over these trees. I haven't been practicing overhand, so There's not really a line, but I'm just going to try to get it to the pin because I'm afraid to make the basic plays. And I feel like when I watch pros and they've got a 200 foot upshot, they're going to put themselves 98 times or 95 times out of a hundred. If it's fairly open, like, within 15 feet or 20 feet and they're going to make that putt almost every time and because they have that confidence i think it almost allows them to play more conservatively which you think would be the opposite if you have more skill you'd attack it more aggressively does that make sense does that seem real yeah absolutely i mean we saw that play out in a pro tournament just last weekend with drew gibson throwing a perfect little floaty putter up shot to park it for the win yeah yeah, he, he basically made a decision that he was going to throw a challenging but a, a layup that he knew he could hit uh, on the drive and then parked this perfect little upshot easy and made his 15-footer and was done. You had to do all those things, three things well. You couldn't accidentally go, you know, you got the tournament pressure, you go too long on your upshot and end up OB, you, um, or sorry, your drive. You had to make your upshot nicely between those two hazards and then you had to make your putt for him it was like 15 feet it wasn't just right under the basket and i think for am sometimes for me that confidence isn't there that i can do those simple things so i'm much more likely to go for the hard thing because i think well if i get the hard thing perfect and park it then i'm done instead of hey i've got to do three simple things in a row so that's helpful it's something to think about it's just being good at the simple things that's true it's actually something i haven't really thought through so that's that's helpful to process uh anything else you can think of that you would say uh, definitely separates ams and pros i mean obviously the skills yeah i mean there's lots of things but those are the things that come to mind um cool no that's super helpful you guys want to hop into a disc review sounds good so it's time for the what was that disc review this week we got the disc mania essence which is an eight speed six glide negative two turn and one fade fairway driver ish david and i got to throw these for the first time ryan's thrown them a bit before uh actually i think david maybe you had one for a long long time ago and you threw it in the river or something is that right i won one in a glow tournament or it wasn't a, it was like a glow like yeah league. league and i threw it a little bit and then i gave it to my brother okay so david what do you think about the essence i liked it i think at the time when I had got the previous essence, I wasn't throwing backhand very often, um, so I didn't I didn't understand its value. For me, I'm really trying to work on fine tuning my backhanded form right now, and this is actually one of the first discs that I was able to start um, hyzer flipping a little bit, and I enjoyed finding that release point. Um, I feel like I can throw it pretty dang straight, and it will hold the line for. And it typically won't have much fade for me at the end. And I think I've talked before on the podcast that I bag T-Bird 3s. This feels similar to the T-Bird 3. 
but without the stability, I can definitely turn it over into an Anheuser shot with it and have a predictable outcome with having a solid turn to it. Yeah, I liked it. I really liked the glide to it. Yeah. The first thing I thought when I threw it was, this is really easy to throw. That was my initial thought was just, wow, that was easy to throw. Like, I don't know what characteristic of that disc. It's probably some, you know, a reasonable speed, a lot of glide, and, a, you know, a healthy amount of turns so you can get it to flip up pretty easily. I actually had my wife throw it. She's usually about like a 200-foot thrower, and she bombed it her first throw. I mean, it was a grip lock into some trees, but the trees were pretty far away. So I was like, oh, dang, it is, it is easy to throw. Um, I like the flip up. I, I like that it has a tiny bit of fade at the end. I threw it into a tiny bit of headwind my first throw with a little bit of hyzer trying to get it to turn over and ride right for the hole I was playing is about 320 or 330. And I was surprised, you know, uh, with how gently I threw it that it held that Anheuser the whole way. It was not much headwind. Um, but yeah, I like it a lot. I think it it feels good in the hand. I like that smaller rim, that eight-speed rim. I think that uh, if you were going to be someone who wanted to learn hyzer flips, I feel like it's a really nice disc for that on the driver's side because it does have that like consistent bit of flip up ryan you like the essence why do you like it uh yeah i've been throwing it for about a season now put it in the bag halfway through last season and for me it's like a longer fuse um it's a disc that'll go real straight um and not turn and burn as they say uh it's nice to find a understable disc that isn't super flippy um if i give this disc enough height it'll definitely fade back to the middle a little bit if I haven't overturned it and I'm throwing it a lot on 60 to 70 percent shots there may be mid-range distance but I can dial back on them really hit a nice clean angle and let the disc just kind of float out there um, I like throwing discs that are easy to throw um, I don't have a big powerful explosive form uh, so discs that can be thrown smoothly uh, are great for me. Uh, I, I really, really do like the essence. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I've seen you throw some really cool shots, but one shot in particular, uh, Watson 13A in the long position with that low-hanging tree, you threw it on a, on a hyzer the whole way that just went straight on hyzer. It was like fighting to flip up the whole way but never quite did. It was just like this. It's a pretty tough shot. I mean, maybe for the pros it's not, but for us AMs, it's a pretty tough shot. And just watching that throw was just one of those things was like, you know, you had to ask, what was that? Because I was like, oh, dang, that thing went so straight. It stayed on hyzer but never pushed hyzer. It was always fighting up. And it was just one of those shots I was like, one, it was a really cool shot, and you did great. But also, the disc also has some part in that. And I was, I was like, oh, man, that essence is cool. I kind of want to throw one. And I've also seen you bomb them like 450 into a light headwind, which for a fairly understable disc is kind of impressive. Yeah, it'll hold up to some power and um, does great. What were some other things you thought about it, David? I mean, talking about the, the Heiser flip, I, there, what was a hole? Um, it's the one with a hole 16 with the, um, at Watson with the hanging basket. Uh, right now it's in the long position at hole four and I tried, um, I, you were letting me borrow two of your essences. So thank you, Ryan. Um, I got one of them. I turned one of them over, um, cause I still am having a hard time finding a con that consistent clean release. Um, there was next to no wind at all. So I have no reason that I just completely ripped over on it. I think I'm so used to trying to go for that under or overstable, uh, trying to get that flex going. But the second one, I actually had that clean release and got the hyzer flip. And man, it held a straight line all the way down halfway through the tunnel. I think I uh, lasered it out to be about 385. And I was super pumped about that because normally I, I, my average back end is probably 340 to 360, somewhere in there. Um, and every once in a while, I can get it a little bit further. And so I was pretty pumped about just being able to throw a disc straight for that far. Uh, 385 foot laser beam is no joke, dude. I'm kind of concerned about For that. For me, it's freaking. <laughs> I was so pumped <laughs> when I lasered that. I was so excited, and I haven't really thrown much understable disc, and so I think this is this has definitely been. I think this could be one of those discs, like you're talking about with the fuse, um, that could be eye opening for me as far as how 
to throw well and how to throw smooth and actually have a better release with my form. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot as well. And it, it feels good in the hand. I really like, we have neoplastic Lux plastic and we have the Zen, which is the Nate Perkins. And what's that plastic called again, Ryan? That's the meta plastic. The meta plastic. There's so many names these days. And I feel like I really like the Neo plastic. It feels great. I don't think I had thrown any Neo before, not much. And it's got nice grip to it. It's got, you know, a bit of tack, a little bit of flexibility, but it's still stiff in the rim. I I really liked it. I mean, I liked all the plastics, but I I thought this plastic was super nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little biased being a a big fan of Latitude and having a lot of uh, loyalty to them, but they put out great plastic. And this Neo seems to be kind of a a hybrid mix between a gold line and opto line um, that just offers a lot of durability and it's nice and grippy it's it's my favorite plastic type by far yeah no i, I like it a lot for sure the essence is part of the line still made by that is made by latitude um though dismania's factory is right next to latitudes so who really knows yeah I, i've heard little whisperings that maybe dismania will take uh evolution in-house at some point that wouldn't surprise me and i know uh those guys are helping each other out and it's uh it's cool to see that little corner of the world putting out such incredible plastic yeah for sure cool well i don't know let's see we talked about different shots i really liked it for the heiser flip straight shot i also really liked it for turnovers I feel like it held turnovers really nicely without burning. You could get really controlled turnovers, which I think for me is like either a turnover usually fades out early or it burns into the ground. And I feel like the essence made it really easy for me to get those Anheuser's or those flip over turnovers that would just hold that line and kind of glide out of it, but not quite get to the point where um, it would either just turn into a thrower or hook up way too early. So I thought, you know, once again, easy to throw. Um, but you throw it for kind of anything. I mean, you, I guess just like your fuse, it's it's kind of because it's neutral, you can just throw it however you want. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a straight to turnover disc for me. Uh, there are occasions where a nice gentle glidey hyzer also comes in handy. Um, but I'm definitely looking to turn this over or throw it pretty straight at a low power. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious. I don't have the skill set to throw a roller right now, but is this a disc that you would consider beat in uh, as a roller disc possibly? Or Yeah, I think even as it is, if you throw it out there kind of flat, a little bit of Anheuser and hard, uh, it'll definitely roll. Uh, I haven't played with it too much. I suspect that it would be straight for a little while, a little while but then roll out to the right fairly early, being a flippier disc. This is on a backhand, right-hand roller. Yeah, correct. I wonder what this flies like at sea, sea level for people. I think we're a little bit spoiled at our elevation that it does have some nice stability to it. I think people at a lower elevation will find it maybe a little flippier and maybe more roller-ready right away. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually got to throw it a little bit at sea level in Arizona, and that's when I was getting the nice flip-up hyzers with it. So nice. What course did you get to play down in Arizona? Um, let's see where they play the Shelly Sharp Memorial. Um, so it's Vista del Camino where spinners on the green is. So yeah, nice. It's pretty fun. It's a super fun course. Yeah, that's, I'm, I was stoked that you got to go down there. All right. Well, I think we're ready for our ratings. The rating system is one, this disc is just not that great. Two is it's a fine disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a good disc, but it just doesn't stand out. Four is it's not going in my bag, but it's fantastic. And five is it's definitely going in my bag. So we'll start uh, with Ryan. What's your rating? Like a 4.8, yeah, I'd say. Like yeah. I, I can't quite give it a five because it's my first time reviewing and I don't want to set the bar too high. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but it's in my bag and uh, I don't see it leaving anytime soon. I usually carry a couple and... It's just a good disc. I like building my bag around something that I can go and recommend to somebody else. Um, even if they're a new player, um, this Essence is one of those discs that at any skill level, I think it's useful and it's just a fun disc to throw. Yeah, for sure. How about you, David? 
I'm just going to jump up there, Ryan. I'm going to give it a five, man. Ooh, all right. I, I have not. That's something missing in my bag. I think we've talked about in the past on the podcast. Josiah was really trying to get me a, to fall in love with the Crave because it's something that he loves. This was a disc that I really started to find a groove with. I think because I started to gain the concept of um, that Heiser flip with it and I was uh, getting some solid turnover action with it. I'm excited to see in a tailwind with a more understable disc. Like this is a disc that uh, I think that I can begin to build my backhand game around. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's so funny. You were so resistant to different discs and keeping your molds simple and all that. So I'm kind of excited and also a little surprised that you this one thing this one went in the bag. Not that it's not a great disc. I definitely would give it a four. I'm gonna give it a four. I think if I, I like the crave and I like the hand feel of the crave a little better. It's a little flatter. And for me, I've started to really trust the crave and trust my game with the crave. And so it's one of those things that, you know, in the end review discs, there's so many good discs out there. And part of the disc review is simply what works well for you. And for me, I really like how straight the crave is. And I like that it's a little bit, um, to me, it's a, I, I can throw a little lower lines better than the essence, but I think the essence is awesome. My first throw with it and watching my wife throw it so easily, um, it was just like, oh, this is so easy to throw. If I wanted to give somebody a first driver, this would be pretty high up there because it's not so flippy that they're going to outgrow it super fast and it's not overstable or it's just neutral. It's a nice flyer. And watching Ryan throw it just makes me say, like, how could you not at least give it a four? Because if Rachel can throw it well at 200 feet and you can throw it well at 450 plus with it, it's a good disc. Um, and I got to do some math on the calculator here because, uh, you know, we're supposed to sum our rating out of 10. So just give me a second here. A 9.2 out of 10, which is what the math tells me on the phone calculator. I really like the essence. I just, it's just not different enough from the crave for me to keep it in my bag. But I think you as the listener should definitely check it out because I think it will find a spot in a lot of people's bags. Well, that's the majority of the show, but this is supposed to be fun. So just for fun, guys, we'll start with you, David. What would be your dream FBO card? So four FBO players you'd like to be able to tag along with and watch them play a like, final round in a tournament. All right. I think I would judge a person if they didn't pick Paige Pierce as one of them. So I'm listening to you guys. Uh, Paige Pierce, just, I mean, she's the best in the world at what she does. Uh, I love watching her play. love her competitiveness. Sarah Hokum. Shout out to the four-handed players out there. I think, again, I think I went with Nate Sexton last week um, with the MPO. Um, I got to have somebody to show me those four-hand lines, so definitely Sarah Hokum. And I think my last two would probably be the uh, Manduhana sisters. I They're in, good. I enjoy the um, dynamic of playing with your siblings or somebody that's close to you and just pushing you and encouraging each other along the way. And I enjoy watching them play. I think I recently watched a YouTube video of them playing the Macbeth brothers. And it was just a fun dynamic and kind of playful dynamic. So I think I grew an appreciation for just their personalities and how they play. Yeah, that's awesome. I think for me, I'll take Paige as well so you won't judge me. And also, Paige, you're pretty fantastic at disc golf since we know you listen to this podcast every week. Um, I'm going to go... Uh, Kristen Tatar, I love her game. She has uh, has such a good backhand, forehand, such a good putt. Um, we don't get didn't get to see her the last year too much, but she's just so good. And then I think I'd probably take Katrina Allen. I think it's kind of she's. I mean, it's just be fun to watch Paige and Cat compete. And Katrina Allen throws just such um, crazy uh, shots with understable discs and and Heiser flips and that sort of thing. And then for the fourth, I'm going to go with Maria Oliva. I don't know if you guys seen her play, but she throws so hard and so straight. I just, I love watching her play. I haven't seen a ton of her, but when I have, she just jumps off of the card because her game is just very cool to watch. And I feel like she's got the full package and she's going to make waves. So that would be my, my dream four. How about you, Ryan? Oh, I'd start and stack the card with a couple of friends and it would be Paige Shue. Um, loved getting to play with her and getting to watch that would be awesome. She's just got such a, uh, a compact form and rips the disc and it's just a joy to be around. Uh, Jennifer Allen, 
another big power thrower and just just a fun time on the disc golf course i've got to caddy for her a few times and that's cool it's just been been fun I, I, she's a good friend as well um uh to round it out i would probably choose cat and uh christian tatar just yeah. kind of two of the where's Paige pierce at ryan <laughs> <laughs> you might have to judge me well, well, ryan, she didn't ryan, make the ryan already had a page on the card he thought it'd be confusing <laughs> i'm totally mean mugging ryan right now yeah i love you Paige. um yeah just rounded out with a couple of the the top ladies and i think that'd be a great card yeah i think any of those would be great and i feel like the fbo field for me is super fun to watch because i think that they're so f- much better than me but at least they have to think about similar-ish shots where if you watch eagle play, it's kind of like watching a different species or a different sport when you can throw, you know, 450 foot hyzer forehands and 700 feet on the backhand. In some ways, it's not as relatable and I don't get as much in terms of, I think, building my own disc golf game. So I love watching the FBO players because there's such a variety of power levels in the field that you can start to see and, and different skill sets you can start to see how they manage the course i think a little bit closer to how an am might not in terms of the skill but in terms of just something to look up to anyway that's it for this week's episode i want to say a huge thank you to everybody who supported the show whether you've just listened whether you've written a review whether you've hit us up on social media and said hey we're enjoying the show and a particular thank you to everybody who's been our patrons We actually had a bunch of people join as patrons this week. And so I just want to say uh, just thank you so much to Reed, Zach, Justin, and Chuck. It's just super cool that you're joining us on the show. We're still figuring it out both behind the mic and on the course. But we appreciate you joining us and supporting the show. And it's encouraging to us. If you'd like to join, be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash thegrinddg. And once again, just thank you so much. And as always, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.